Okay, we are recording in Reaver. Reaper. Reaver. Reaper. We. Weaver. Grim Reaper. <laughs> Dream Weaver. Is Yay. it Weaver? Reaper. Reaper. <laughs> you haven't eaten today, have you? <laughs> I had a bagel. Blood sugar a little low. <laughs> Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Minot, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Hey, and welcome to another episode of... What's this called? AT Banter? That's what it is, yeah. Banter, banter. Uh, what, am I not here? Like, what, what was I'm that? I'm Rob Minot, and no, I'm joined not. today by... <laughs> I have a doppelganger in the studio. <laughs> His voice has changed. No kidding. Puberty. All right, well, go ahead. You've, you've taken it now. Go yep. ahead. Well, I think I think that's a perfectly good intro right there. All right. Let's just launch right in. <laughs> well, I am Rob Minot. Are you? And Well, wait, no, I'm not even doing that. I you thought go, I was. No, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I am Rob Minot, and uh, I am joined today by a Steve Barkley who looks a lot like Rob Minot used to look. Hello. And Ryan Flurry who looks entirely like himself. Heidi ho I like this. It took a lot of pressure off me. I like, <laughs> I like this new intro. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah. You want it here? You want my notes? You can, you can host the thing, dude. <laughs> All right, give me notes. What do we got? There you go. Yeah. It's not, not like I read them before, so, you know. Before you jump into that, though, we did yeah. get an email from Allie. I don't know if you saw it this morning. No. This morning? Yeah. No. Um, he's asking if we're going to get back to doing banter bits. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, we Ooh. haven't done any banter bits. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's it has been a while. I, I mean, we could. We just got to figure no out what the banter bits are going to be. You know, are they going to be like our new segments? Are they going to be just all of a sudden there's a press release and we'll announce it as a banter bit? I mean, we'll be honest. Uh, I think the only reason that we stopped doing banter bits is because... We got lazy. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, you know that's really. There's really no other, no other reason behind that. Uh, it was just you know an extra recording, an extra bit of editing for us. So uh, they kind of fell off the rails. We got distracted, but we there's there's no reason why we couldn't we couldn't um, do them up, do them again. Yeah. So uh, Ali, in answer to your question, maybe <laughs> maybe depends how depends how much time we have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got I've got a lot of Netflix to watch. I'm watching Fargo. On, uh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh! New oh. Stranger Things, October 27th. Oh yes, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah it is very exciting. exciting. Mm-hmm. And the Tick. Oh, Wait, is the, the Tick, tick? coming to Netflix? The Tick is coming to uh, Amazon Prime uh, oh, August something. Oh, excellent! Yeah, that's exciting too. That was such a great show. Yeah, I, I'm them. still a little weirded out that it's not Patrick Warburton in the costume. Though. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was pitch perfect for that role. He totally was. Um, Alrighty, so uh, what are we talking about today, Rob? Well, uh, today, wait, what? You're Steve. He's Rob. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> I don't think we can keep that straight. <laughs> That's just too complicated. Way too complicated. Uh, well, you know what? Today we don't have a guest. We are just kind of talking about different interesting articles that we've come across uh, in the past week. And our take on it, because and, uh, everybody's and, dying to know what we think. And of course, we will talk in length about Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, Donald course. Trump Jr. Donald Trump. Oh yeah, he's, <laughs> that's right. He's in the news. <laughs> he's the Russian confidant now. <laughs> it's every week, man, with those guys. It's just crazy. Yeah. Anyways, okay, we're going to spin <laughs> off already. Just... I was going to say, go, Steve. <laughs> I, I, heard, I heard a comedian, and I can't remember who it might have been Trevor Noah, but he's like, who knew that Donald Trump wasn't even the worst Donald Trump? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Um, okay, so we start talking about some of these stories? Let's talk about some of these stories. Steve, what do we got up first? Well, first we've got uh, Phillips is offering a line of accessible TV and video players. 
The entire line of 2017 Philips brand televisions and video players now offers enhanced accessibility to allow blind and visually impaired users to control the device's functions. Adding enhanced accessibility to products entails the addition of voice guide descriptive menus, easy to read user interface, guide dots on remote controls, easy access to closed captioning slash subtitles and secondary audio, easy access to support, and an easy way to identify these products with the help of an enhanced accessibility logo. So my question on that was, if I'm blind, I won't see the accessibility logo. You're right. You're right. It should, it should be an audio logo. That's it right. Should, every time somebody walks past it, should, it should holler out, I'm accessible! That's okay. right. Yeah, now you're not picking. <laughs> no, okay, well, Ryan, let's ask you, what, what do you think of this? I think this is great. Um, and I think later on in the article, it actually says um, the FCC are the ones who actually mandated a policy back a few years ago so you know even though Philips is finally jumping on the bandwagon of accessibility Sony has a line of TVs as well that are running the Android TV operating system and with them you can install the Android screen reader talkback which makes the smart TV accessible as well and it has talking menu guides so the more the better I'm excited about this and I may actually look at getting a, a blu-ray player from this line so wait, uh, so Sony, was Sony the first ones that, that came out with, with the accessible? I don't think they're the first. I think it's been tried before. I just don't think it's ever taken off or it's never been really marketed. Well, I mean, because you're right. I mean, the FCC, th this is a result of, of an FCC mandate from last year that... Yeah, they had to uh, allow certain features to be accessible by December 20th, 2016, so... Right. Anything that was that that was only available through an on-screen menu, they mandated that it needs to be accessible. So I'm wondering now if that's going to uh, pertain to cable boxes, um, other manufacturers. Yeah, well, absolutely. Samsung TVs. I mean, it know. sounds like Philips is just kind of first, the first to actually create a line. I, I, I imagine. So. I imagine if it's if it's mandated by the FCC, all the other manufacturers are going to at some point have to fall in line with this as well. I really hope so because up till now, you know, most of us who are blind or visually impaired have had to add like an Apple TV or an Amazon Fire TV to make our TV smart and accessible, you know, so we had access to the Netflix and the YouTubes through apps. Now just being able to buy, you know, a Philips TV or a Blu-ray player off the shelf, come home and turn the accessibility on is huge, huge for independence. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, actually, that we haven't seen more of this, given that the deadline was uh, December 2016. That's six months ago. Mm -hmm. So presumably all of the TVs, Blu-ray players, DVD players that are out in the market now in the U.S. are supposed to have this feature. Or at least newly manufactured ones. Yeah, yeah. So it could be that some of the other manufacturers, they just, they haven't, they're delaying their models, their newer models, maybe, until... Maybe. It, it's, it's hard to say. But... I think they'd be leaving themselves open to a lawsuit if they didn't uh, have, you know, if they, if they didn't meet that deadline. Sure. Although who knows how fixed those FCC deadlines are, right? Yeah, true. So they could be giving them some, some, uh, some leeway. Wriggle room. So, so I don't know, hopefully, you know, within the next year, we're going to see other manufacturers start to announce these lines. Really hope so, and you know, I hopefully I can actually find one and, and possibly get one, and then maybe we can do a review later on. But that's interesting that Sony uses the the Android operating system, allowing um, TalkBack to be used because that's actually a, an even smarter way to to do it, because that way you can fulfill the mandate um, without having to go back to the drawing board and and you know, build in your accessibility menus um, at the design level. But again, that comes back to being bolt-on accessibility. I'd rather just come right from the manufacturer with, with accessibility designed from the ground up. Yeah. But Ideally. it's an option, you know. Ideally. So, yeah, that's great. Um, it, it'd be fun to, you should buy one we, so we can play with it. Okay. <laughs> we need a new TV. What is this? This, is, this thing's only, what, 70 inches? 55. I mean, 55? It, it's okay, Linda. It's for the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're yeah. trying to help you, Ryan. Yeah, okay. Well, I need some cash. <laughs> Can you lend me some cash? 
Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> Never doing that again. All right, starting a GoFundMe. <laughs> Although I hear there's a really exciting investment opportunity happening in Australia oh, that yeah. you might be interested in. Anything I to could, do with holograms? I could <laughs> offer you some shares in... in uh, <laughs> Soon to be publicly traded company. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right, what do we got next? Next, we've got voice access. Voice access is a way for people with severe motor impairment to control every aspect of their phones using their voices. Yeah, okay, so, we, we, so we'll step back a little bit. So voice access was announced uh, at the last Google I.O., uh, not, not this one that was just recently, but, um, and it's still in beta, but what it does is once it's installed, you can enable it uh, with Android's OK Google command by just saying, OK Google, turn on voice access. And then once it's on, it's always listening and you don't have to use the OK Google command. So with voice access, all of the UI elements that are normally tap targets um, are actually overlaid with numbers. And so that you could just say things like open, you know, press one. Um, and it would press that particular button. Or it even said you could say open camera and tap shutter. That, that's right. And just use your voice to take a picture. Yeah, that's cool. right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just um, it's a feature that once turned on, it would allow you to essentially use something like your phone completely hands-free. So it would be you know, obviously useful for people who have you know, limited motor control. Yep. Parkinson's, physical disabilities. I just I, wish my phone would read my emails to me. <laughs> I just wish my phone would refresh its email. Yeah. <laughs> but that's another another story. Or text messages when I'm driving, you know. Oh, well, yeah. but voice access would, would allow you to do that. Um, voice access would be, you know, you could you could tell it to open your text message and dictate to it your text message and then, you know, yeah, but would it read Send. the text message to me? Because currently Google won't read a text message to me. I bet you it probably that will I don't know. once the new Google Home updates come out. Oh, yeah. Because the Google Home is going to allow you to send and receive calls, and I believe as well as text messages. Oh, okay. So if that does come to the Google Home, it should be baked into the Google Assistant, I would believe. It is. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. I mean, because the Google Home is powered by the Google Assistant, and this all ties into the Google Assistant. So... You know, it's it's sort of another step into this idea of ambient conversational interfaces that Google's working on that is only going to make things like the Google Home more powerful. It just won't work in a crowded room. You're always, you you know, you always give a <laughs> negative spin to everything. Can't always be positive. Got to be realistic. No, you, you know what? <laughs> I'm putting that in your bio. All right. You're the you're the podcast curmudgeon. There you go. Like <laughs> we've got these there. things, Google have been busting their asses trying to <laughs> trying to make this, and you're just like, well, it wouldn't work in a crowded room. <laughs> it wouldn't. If I was on the space shuttle, it would probably wouldn't work, would it? Well, it might. <laughs> Not accessible from space. <laughs> Never know. Could be. But it's also only in beta. I mean, I don't know. This this article that we pulled this from is a little old. Um, and it talks about voice access being baked into uh what is it android n which was nougat i guess yeah uh which of course has already been released and it's and it's not um it's still as of today i checked and it's still in beta form so but it could also make its way to android auto as well so i'm sure it will i mean yeah. i I, it, I guess my point is just that they're still working on it yeah. it's it's not quite available yet um it's something that's forthcoming but um it sounds like it, it would be it would be pretty powerful for if somebody's in a chair, somebody who you know doesn't have uh, you know has tremors or whatever, and you know being able to to operate their phone smoothly with with just voice would be would be pretty powerful. Yeah, very cool. So, all right, what's next? Well, next we've got the Braille Me, a three hundred dollar I assume that's U.S. Braille display. Yeah. So. This is coming from a company called InnoVision. I actually looked at their website yesterday, and they do have a features link, but there was nothing listed there. Really? So. It's a real display. It has no yeah, features. It's a, right. it's a startup from, from yeah. India, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, so it plugs into mobile phones and computers to help the visually impaired access the internet and other digital content. Uh, it's equipped with a tool to help people write in Braille and have it appear in digital text. 
as well as one that converts digital text into raised bumps for reading Braille. Well, that's kind of what a Braille display does. Right? That's right. Oh, every Braille display does that. But this is a $300 Braille display, so it's cheaper than anything that's on the market currently, so far as I know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, currently small Braille displays are 2500 US, you know. You, know, you could go down to like the Braille pen if anybody's selling it anymore, which was about a thousand US. Yeah, I did see something on Twitter the other day. I think it was from the ACB that there was an announcement made that the Orbit Braille reader is actually going to start shipping in large quantities come September. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So they're finally going to be shipping that unit as well. And that was a five hundred dollar. That's display, right. Yeah, so. the Orbit's yeah. even more expensive than this, but. Mm -hmm. But what makes this interesting, though, and Steve, you'll probably know more, a little bit more about this uh, than I do, but they talk about um, how this unit and the Orbit is using different technology to, to I guess, drive the, drive the Braille pins for the cells? Yeah, yeah. So typically, uh, up until now, the technology, well, there's two technologies that have been historically used in Braille. One was to use a solenoid to raise a dot up and down. Um, that, that never really caught on because it was um, uh, pretty power intensive. Um, so the one that has been used is, is piezoelectric um, uh, wafers. So you've got a three-layer wafer. You apply a, a voltage to one side of it. It uh, bends up. You apply a voltage to the other side. It bends down. So that raises and lowers your dots. And you've got eight of those piezoelectric elements for each individual Braille cell, which is pricey. And uh, typically works out to you know roughly hundred bucks per cell. So this is using a, a different technology, and I, I haven't been able to look at the orbit or at uh, or or at this unit, but I'm guessing that it's probably using a um, uh, a rotary um, uh, some sort of rotary system. Uh, so you've got a wheel with flat sides on it, and each side has different combination of braille dots on it and you just flip it around to whichever combo you need so you know you've got uh, on, on each wheel uh, you've got uh, combinations potentially for you know the, the various combinations of all three dots up or you know all three dots down or you know dot one up dot two up dot one and two up dot one two you know you've got to have every combination I think you would need about uh, I, I worked it out once, but I think because because actually uh, this is something that I conceptualized uh, a few years ago, and uh, when I had great hopes that we would be able to develop product, I I, uh, I wanted to do this as a as a Braille technology. Um, so basically, you just have to figure out how many sides you need, and then you just rotate them to the position that you you need them in. Um, so I think that's what's going on with these from the from the images that I've seen. It looks like maybe that's the way they're doing the Braille. Uh, but I don't know 100. percent I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. So it would make sense. And so it's a lower. It's a lower tax. So mm -hmm. that that would that would explain the drop in price. Yeah, yeah. And it would be a little little fat, a little slower to refresh. And uh, that's and that's exactly what um, what they're saying about both the Orbit and this device is that um, the BrailleMe is that they they are a little bit slower than conventional Braille displays because of it. But you know the the. The offset in price point. Oh, it's, I mean, depending on the size of the display and the, um, the demand of the user, you know, if, if it's a slow refresh, somebody who's a really avid Braille reader is probably not going to want it. No. They're going to want something that's going to give them better performance, that's going to, you know, be, be snappy so that, you know, as they read, they can, they can move along quickly. Um. You know, there's also uh, that British company, um, name is eluding me now, but they're coming out with the multi-line Braille display. And they're, they're using, I think, a similar technology. Um, and uh, But their refresh time is, uh, I think, half a second per line. Hmm. And, and then you've got to refresh all your lines as well. So it takes... A little bit to refresh a page but with them it's a page it's not you know it's not a, a single line at a time but for somebody who's just learning braille or some developing countries you know this is finally making braille affordable to everybody bingo yeah yeah as far in terms of an entry-level device it's it's perfect yep yeah if you're teaching you know little kids 
it's perfect. You know, if if they're just learning the the fundamentals and you need something to work with them on the fundamentals, great. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you just think about it compared to what it would cost to produce um, hard copy braille. You know, you got to go. You got to buy yourself a braille printer, which is going to cost you, you know, four to six thousand dollars probably. And uh, and then you got to buy the paper, which is what eighty bucks for a thousand sheets. You know, compared to that, a three hundred dollar braille display looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think time will tell. You know, once it gets released, kind of like the Orbit. You know, everybody's got their deposits down, but they're still waiting to get their hands on these units. You know the. Um, proofs in the pudding, right? You know, if it's successful, great. More people flock to it. But if it's a flop, then back to the drawing board. But does it surprise you that you know for thirty years it's been it's been one type of technology that is that has made braille displays so incredibly expensive, and that it's taken thirty years for someone to think of a lower tech solution? Yeah, it does surprise me. I, I really thought that by now we would have much, much cheaper Braille than, than we have had. Um, and I thought it would be a technological leap forward um, as opposed to, you know, maybe going to a, uh, a slower, um, lower tech solution. But, you know, here we are. The, the important thing is it, it, it makes Braille more accessible. And from the sounds of it, I think the it sounds like the first one of these that's going to hit the market is probably going to be the Orbit, if indeed it is looking to ship in September. Mm-hmm. I, I like I don't know. We should. Where did you say you read that, Ryan? I think I saw it on Twitter. I and I tried to go back and find it and I couldn't, but I, I swear it was on Twitter. Because I mean, when that would make sense? Because hasn't the Orbit been delayed? Like it was supposed to be out last fall, right? Yeah. So. Although that's interesting too, it makes you wonder why that why that why the large delay there. Hard to know. They're not saying, um, you know, uh, nobody's really talking about that. But uh, it'll be nice to see it out because there's been there's been people you know here in Canada who've prepaid their you know fifty buck deposit for for those things and they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah, and I think once it does get released, you know, we've got some old clients that I know have ordered one it'd be nice to get them on the show and and get their review of it yeah absolutely and it'll just be nice having you know having some options open to people that would allow them to have a braille display that maybe they can't afford you know five thousand dollars oh hey steve oh hey rob i heard that um humanware has a new product out well as a matter of fact they have and i love how this is written up here Imagine that the Victor Reader stream and the Trekker Breeze hooked up at a bar. (laughs) Who wrote that? (laughs) I I didn't see that. (laughs) I wrote my own notes, so. (laughs) (laughs) Is this just cobbled? No, no, uh, I pulled. No, I. Blindnotalone.com? Yeah, I pulled. I don't know. I pulled it from, I don't know, one of the blogs that was talking about this. Oh, did you? Okay, so this is. We can't take credit for this. Yeah, no, we can't take credit. But it's brilliant. Well, you know, but the thing I first started thinking about is okay. Victor Reader Stream and the Trekker Breeze hook up at a bar. Well, both of them have exactly the same USB ports on their side. Uh-oh. One of them isn't male and one of them isn't female. They're both female. So I think I think this is an adopted child. Yep. You know, yeah. It's either that or the result of in vitro fertilization by a USB cable. <laughs> one or the other. It's, uh, but but the, these two did not breed on their own. That's all I'm saying. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Nope. <laughs> Anyway, so what they've done is they've basically taken all the features of the Breeze and all the features of the Stream and they've put them into a single device and they've harmonized some of the uh, controls for them so that you use the same sort of navigation to do stuff with your player as you do with your uh, with your GPS system. Okay, well, we, we should, we should step back for a second. Okay, so what, what exactly is the Trekker Breeze on its own? Okay, so the Trekker Breeze on its own is a GPS system, a talking GPS system. It's handheld. You can put in routes, you can uh, follow routes, you can punch in an address and it'll take you to roughly where that address is. Um, and of course it's based on, uh, you know, the GPS system. The Victor Stream is their talking book player, uh, which will play virtually any talking book format on the planet as well as, you know, music and uh, read documents to you, text documents, that sort of stuff. So now it's all getting smushed into one 
and they're actually bringing the price down below what the price for the um, for the uh, uh, the breeze was because that was the more expensive of the two devices it's going to be uh, $699 US and it's being released later this year so there's uh, there's a, a number of changes that they've made to the Trekker part of it. They're mm-hmm. using different maps. They're using TomTom maps now, which yeah. I guess are uh, are a better uh, map te- technology. Uh, I read the piece on it, but I now I don't remember any of the details. What else did they do, Ryan? They're also now using a Snapdragon processor, which a lot of cell phones are using now. So it's a lot speedier. It has 32 gigabytes of onboard storage as well as you can use an SD card to bump that up to 256. Ooh, that's um, a lot of storage. It is. Uh, what else do I got here? Uh, Bluetooth, finally. You can use Bluetooth headphones, because you couldn't before. Awesome. They've also removed the microphone jack, so the headphone jack is a multi-purpose jack now. So a headphone slash microphone. Okay, cool. So you those can inline. use those uh, mainstream cell phone yep. headset thingies? Yep also has support built in. Uh, it's future-proof to support iBeacons, which is used for indoor navigation. That's cool. Really? Yep. And I got all this from the Blind Bargains podcast um, that I listened to. Shout out to Blind Bargains. Yep. Hey, dudes. And they also, uh, there's a new system in 2018 or 2019, a GPS system called Galileo. And I don't know if you got that in the notes. All right. No. That's the, uh, is that the European uh the one the European Space Agency is putting up? I'm not sure what it is, but it is. basically our GPS units have only been able to get us within about 10 feet or 30 meters of our destination. Yeah, because we're using the U.S. military GPS system. Right, and with Galileo, it's going to get us up to a foot. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very cool. So that's you know that's built in as well. That's It's already there. It'll just be enabled by an update when they when they come out. Yeah. And that's the difference between knowing if you're on the right side of the street or the wrong side of the street, <laughs> right? That's a, that's a pretty significant uh, skew that they've got currently. Well, in 10 feet, trying to find a doorknob, like, you know, it could be one of 10 doors. Well, this is, this, it, well, this is the thing, too, because even if you've got it down to one foot, it's still not going to get you to the door because of the nature of the maps. Right. Unless, unless TomTom maps are different than the maps that have been traditionally used, and they actually do have every address location down to the the pinpoint spot where you're supposed to be. But I believe that... Blind Barkins did say they've stripped out the TomTom. Like they're using TomTom, but they're actually customized TomTom maps. So they've stripped out a lot of the information and customized it. But the the way that uh, GPS typically tells you where an address is on a block is it divides that block into percentages. So if you're going to 1010 it's going to take you 10% of the way through the 100 block right? and say you've arrived at your destination. Now, the door may actually be 40 feet away. Right. But but that's where, you know, that's where 10% of that block is. So I, d- I don't know that that one foot will get you directly to a door unless that is different on the TomTom maps. I don't know. Yeah, I don't we'll, know. We'll see. Closer the better. Yes, indeed. Well, this, you know what, now that you guys are talking about it, it sounds a lot more useful than initially I thought when I first read it. I'll admit. Well, I, I, I don't know. Maybe were you thinking of it with the assumption that why wouldn't people just use their phone for this? <sighs> yeah. Yep. That was part of it. Yeah. See, I was come back to, and other podcasts have said the same thing, you know, you can use your phone to, to do the same sort of stuff, but it's the GPS is a huge battery drain. So if you all of a sudden are in an emergency situation need to use your phone and you can't because your battery's dead because you've been using GPS, now you're screwed. Okay. So I still enough. think there's how, a... How are you going to play Pokemon Go now? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I still think there's a place for a, a dedicated device. Your phone can be a phone when you need it to be a phone. And your GPS, your stream, whatever other device you're using... A is going to have much longer battery life. I think they're saying 10 to 12 hours. Um, I think it actually was 12 to 15 hours on the stream and 10 hours, I think, for GPS. Yeah, it was significant. Yeah, so yeah. Your, your phone won't get that. No, no, not even close. No, and I think my other initial reaction was was also the idea of pairing, you know, the talking book player with the GPS unit because... My initial thought, I guess, was, well, I don't know how many blind people are going to be out and about and wanting to 
plug in and listen to a talking book while they're while they're out because that's dangerous. You can't, you know, you don't want to be. Well, maybe not while they're walking, but how about when they're on the bus or the train or. Fair enough. You know, yep, that's true. Commuting. That's true. So, and it does, you know, now that I'm thinking about it a little bit more and, and hearing, having heard you guys talk about it, I mean, it, it, it does make a little bit more sense. And, and it's, it, you know, one device, it, it means that it's, it's only one device as opposed to having, having to have two. Like I have my talking book player and I have my GPS that I use frequently, both of them, you know, it doesn't make as much sense as just having one integrated unit. Well, and you don't have to use the, the trekker part of it either. If you just want to use the stream part of it, you can. You know, and having one unit and having the price come down is huge. Like the That's stream true. is like 420 Canadian, you know. So the trekker used to be, I think, seven or I think. nine. Yeah, I think it was 995. Canadian. So you're not getting two for the price of one product, and it's much more powerful and functional. Now, let me ask you this. Is this going to replace the current trekker stream or Victor stream model? Like, is, are, are there going to be no more Victor streams? No, I believe they're still going to sell just the, the Victor stream on its own. But wait, is the Victor stream on its own cheaper than this? Yeah. Yes. Okay, I see. So this will be a, a GPS option. Correct. Yeah. It's actually a thicker unit than the stream currently is. It's approximately the same dimensions, but a little about an inch and a half thicker from what I, I read. Cool. That's interesting. And I mean, it's... And, and I mean, there, there are actually in development, I mean, there's a lot of different, um, mobility options that are, that are coming, uh, you know, and, and are here. Like, you know, we, we talked to, uh, Eric who is using the IRA system, mm-hmm. um, as a, as a mobility aid. Um, there is all the stuff that's supposedly coming with the Google lens for the Android devices, uh, that are pretty exciting that are using new sorts of, um, beacon technology so could be an exciting year for this yeah yeah it could be i don't know do you think that this would be this is technology that's eventually going to get phased out um by accessibility features within smartphones or you or do you you see a future in this as a standalone device i think the biggest thing that is holding smartphones down now is the battery capacity once there's a new breakthrough in battery storage or battery power um, then yeah, I think these devices will go away. But until then, you know, like I said earlier, the phone can't compete on battery power like the Victor Stream or the Trekker or even the unit as a combo. So having a secondary dedicated device for its specific purpose, I think is going to be around for a few years yet. And have you seen what the unit looks like, Steve? Uh, no, I haven't. Because I'll be curious. I, I I wonder if it looks more like a breeze or more like a stream. Although I guess the two devices they do as it is kind of look similar. Supposedly, it, it looks like a stream. All the buttons are in the same place. You use the online key to go through the different bookshelves. So you'll have your online bookshelf, which has your Daisy books, your podcasts, your Utoons radio. You press it a third time, it takes you over to the GPS section. So it looks like a stream, but it's just a little thicker. Interesting. Same keyboard layout, use number five as the where am I key when you're in GPS mode. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, they, they don't they don't list a date on when this is available. They just say later this year. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye out for it and, and maybe talk about it a little bit more once it's released. Okie dokie. Well, in the meantime, we should talk about this talking laundry module. Oh, yes. Everybody's favorite activity. I know. Hey, Ryan. Rob. How excited are you? What? <laughs> Who are you now? Are you getting confused? How, how excited are you about a talking laundry module? I'm actually not that excited at all. I've already got bumps on my washer and dryer. I do the laundry. Works fine for me. So, I don't know. I, it'd be nice to have all these products have either a talking module or an app or something that you could sync up with your washer dryer microwave and so on and be able to tell you know whether you're on small medium or heavy load or warm or cold or hot Um, but really you know there's only a limited number of options on each machine so i think it's great 
Um, I didn't see a price point for it. I think it well, only worked with GE machines at this well, point. Yeah, well, no, we should we should we should step back and, and frame this a little bit because what this 14 year old has created a smart device that helps visually impaired people receive audio feedback from the washer and dryer. And, and the way he's done it is he's created some code and and a box that plugs into the dryer, and then it will tell uh, somebody who's using it what cycle they're on, how much time is left. And the way he's done it, though, is that he's added a, he's added a, a bunch of JavaScript code to the service diagnostic board on the on the on the dryer. And the way he's been able to do that, of course, is that his dad is a he works his, at his his dad is yeah he's a design leader at at the innovation hub. This isn't something that that a outside third party manufacturer has made. Um, it's just something that this kid has made. So it's not readily available on the market or anything. But I think, I, I don't know, the, the interesting thing about this story that, that struck me was the fact that a 14-year-old can, can add a bunch of JavaScript code <laughs> and, and build this. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems to indicate to me that this is something that manufacturers could do, especially with smart appliances. They could do it from right from the design phase. Yep. And just there's no reason why these appliances couldn't just do this right out of the box. Access World is an online magazine uh, for blind, low vision people and others as well. But they actually have a section on there called Smart Appliances. And I haven't looked at it in a long time to see if it's been updated. But there might actually be some out there that have accessibility built in. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, it makes you wonder why aren't manufacturers doing this? Because they haven't been sued enough. Well, yeah, as as we've learned, as we've learned through from previous guests, yeah, unless they're mandated to do it, and you know the fines are hefty enough, you know, I think once they realize that you know we're consumers as well, or the disabled community are consumers as well, you know, and we've got money to spend, um, you know, they're they're just not going to do it. But you know, going back to our first story with Phillips they probably wouldn't have done it either if it wasn't mandated by the FCC. No, Philips would have. They're a nice company. Maybe. Oh, yeah, they're good people. <laughs> good people. They are the greatest people. Please send me a free TV. <laughs> <laughs> 70 inches. <laughs> and a mounting plate and somebody to install it. <laughs> and, and a level. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. It really stood out to me that it's... it's this is just something that they should be doing uh, at the design level. And, yeah, and it's ridiculous the board, that they're not. Across the board, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, more and more, like more so than ever before, um, with with smart appliances, everything is there in place. Like it would be so easy to just change some code, put in a built-in speaker, and be able to have your appliance give you audio feedback. It's all digital. I mean, it's... There's just no excuse for it. Yeah, and it can't be that costly to include that type of device. And you should be able to check Facebook on it while you're uh, doing your laundry. Because, <laughs> you know, doing laundry is boring. Boring. Doing laundry isn't boring. You know what's boring is folding the laundry. That's what I hate. Yeah, it's the worst. Oh, the worst part of folding laundry? Matching socks. Yeah, oh, I that's agree. that's the worst. Matching <laughs> socks. Oh. Yeah. It's easy if you're me. They're either black or they're white. No, but then you're always got mismatch. Then you're you're always have an odd number of socks. It's like where the hell did the other white sock go? <laughs> now I've got to leave this orphaned. That's true. It's terrible. Yeah, life's a hardship. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, speaking I guess... of hardship, let's talk about TransLink. Oh yes. Okay. So this is a local story. So <laughs> anyone outside the outside the Lower Mainland, you know this. This isn't going to be all that interesting to you? Okay, we'll make it interesting because I'm going to go on my TransLink rant. Oh, I was going to go on a TransLink rant. Okay, we'll, well, both, we'll, go, and, we'll go to double, double. How, how stupid is TransLink, Rob? Uh, they are fairly stupid. Uh, in fact, yeah, I would say dumb and dumber level stupid. So, so we have this transit system where we've got buses and we've got SkyTrain. And... They've installed this, and the, uh, sorry, I should add the SkyTrain is is basically our, our elevated 
rail system. Yeah, in some places it's elevated, some places it's below ground, but for the most part it's elevated. So, yeah, SkyTrain. Originally built for the 1986 World Exposition, it has now branched out to various parts of uh, the Vancouver Lower Mainland. So you can get out to Coquitlam, you can get out to Surrey. Uh, They're going to be expanding a line down to take people out to UBC. Uh, And there's, there's some additional expansion planned for it. But originally when they built it, it was based on the honor system. You went in with, you went in, you bought a ticket, you get onto the train, you get off the train, you wander away, and that was that. Well, surprise, surprise, guess what? People weren't paying the fare. No. Some people, yeah. There were, there were actually, some people were not paying the fare. So they went, oh gosh, what could we possibly do to actually make people pay the fare? Hmm. So they, so they created the transit police, the TransLink police force. <laughs> and you would have the TransLink police force showing up and TransLink people would be checking your tickets, make sure you had a ticket. And if you didn't have a ticket, you'd get a fine. But that was labor intensive. So what else could they possibly do? So TransLink people. Okay, wait, hold on. I want to step in here. So, so yeah, they would issue the ticket. Part of the problem was once you were issued a ticket, there was no teeth to it. You could literally just not pay it and the only system that they had to ensure that you were paying it is that they would tie it to, say, your driver's license. And so if you didn't pay your TransLink ticket, uh, next time you went to renew your insurance, it would, it would you'd be flagged and they'd say, okay, you know what, you need to pay your $120 ticket before we will renew your license. But of course, if you're taking the SkyTrain, there's a probably a good chance that you don't have a car anyways, so it didn't really affect you. So people were just not paying. They were they were getting tickets. They just weren't paying the fines because there there was no way to enforce it. Yeah. So but back at TransLink head office, they started scratching their heads and going, "Hmm, what could we possibly do to make sure that people are paying their fares?" I I, I can't imagine. So a whole bunch of TransLink people flew all over the entire freaking world to look at major transit systems and ask them the deep probing question, how do you get these people to pay? And overwhelmingly, they came back with, well, we've got a freaking fare gate at the front here. Do you see that little turnstile thingy there? Yeah, you, you, you don't get past that without a ticket. And the light bulbs came on and they went, wow, how can we implement a system just like that, only make it less functional and really, really expensive? So they went out and they found one of the most expensive technologies that they could possibly come up with for this fare system. And they implemented it across SkyTrain without any regard whatsoever for people with disabilities, pretty much. Like, for example, you walk into the station now, there's a little pad, you take your your uh, paper ticket that, or your, your TransLink pass that, that's got a little RFID tag in it, and you tap it on the thing and you walk in. Well... What if you can't tap it? What if you can't reach it? Well, gosh, we never thought of that. So we'll leave the disability gates open on the <laughs> SkyTrain so anybody with a disability in a wheelchair or something can can just wheel on through. Well, guess what? People were walking on through. So obviously we've got to come up with a very expensive solution for this. So the geniuses have decided we're going to use RFID technology to make it easier. And uh, uh, what did they do? They, uh, they, they installed it in Edmonds Station and they tested it in early June. And uh, uh, now users who need it can get a little fob that will open the gate when they come within a certain distance. Yeah, well, and here's, okay, here's my problem with this. Okay, uh, I'll give TransLink this. Okay, at least they're doing something about the problem. But they're doing it like they closed those gates a year and a half ago and their solution for people who were unable to tap who whatever whatever their situation was they 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 didn't have enough hand functionality to to pull the card out and, and use it or they couldn't reach but their solution was you know what call an attendant mm-hmm. and an attendant will come and will open the gate for you and that was it like just for a year and a half that's that was their solution for for anything hey rob yes are there attendants at every station heck no no you'd have <laughs> to so you'd have to call it and i mean even in this article that we pulled from i believe it was the vancouver sun 
they interview somebody who's in a chair who, who this impacts. Uh, and he just came right out and said, well, you know what? I don't really use the SkyTrain uh, anymore because it's just too much of a hassle. So I just, I, I bus everywhere that I need to go. And a lot of times it takes me longer to get to my destination, but it's just easier doing that. And I, I, I believe that probably most people do that. I mean, because you you get to your SkyTrain station, you literally would have to sit there, call an attendant and sit there and wait for 15 minutes for one to arrive and open the gate for you. That's insane. Mm-hmm. And it's insane that they, that they felt that they could just wait for a, major, a year and a half for a major city like Vancouver, it, it's ludicrous. Well, even to to implement a system like this, you know, where was the forethought? Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Where was the consultation mm-hmm. with disability groups? Where was the thinking? You know, one of the things that annoys the crap out of me is TransLink is an unelected body. They they are appointed, and they get the TransLink board gets paid very well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the head of TransLink gets paid a ridiculous amount of money, but they don't seem to actually provide any leadership worth mentioning, uh, or any common sense. So why do we need these guys? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And it, it infuriates me. It infuriates me that they close those gates in the first place without, because you know, the sort of the line of events and, you know, I take, I, you know, I was taking the SkyTrain every day. So I, you know, I sort of saw this firsthand. But they put those gates in and closed them. And then all of a sudden people with, you know, in wheelchairs and stuff were saying, hey, uh, what's with this? I can't actually get into the station. And it was only then that they went, oh, geez, right. And then their response was, okay, you know what, we'll, we'll open the, the, the wheelchair gates. And they did that for about a month. Well, they tried to figure out a solution, couldn't figure out a solution. So their solution was just, well, you know what, we're going to have to close them all. And they just didn't solve the problem. And it took them a year and a half to come up with this idea. And even this idea, they're talking about, they're, they're in the testing phase, but they're not talking about actually rolling anything out uh, until sometime next year. So, and at that point, those gates will have been closed for over two years. Craziness. And this isn't the first time that TransLink has dropped the ball on a disability-related issue either. I mean, they they, they have a history of, of stupid moves. Uh, prime example. Um, so SkyTrain in Vancouver, uh, the stations are similar in, in design. You have the train pull in. It's an open platform. Um, and... Uh, you, you basically stand back from the platform, train comes along, doors open on the train, step on the train, train pulls away, and there's a big drop to the to the tracks. Um, and also with some of the cars, um, there is a space between some of the cars, so you, there's a drop to the tracks between the cars. Well, uh, people who are blind and visually impaired, uh, cane users, um, didn't have any real indication of where the edge of the That's right, of the uh, the track was, because they never installed any sort of tactile um, line um, uh, alongside the track, so it took a good number of people falling on the tracks, and and in one case, uh, I mean, there there was a guy who got horrific injuries. Um, That's uh, right from, from that. getting run over by a train uh, when he fell onto the tracks. Um, and that wasn't that long ago. That I feel like that was, wasn't there in 2006, 2000? Uh, that's when we were on Joyce Street. Yeah. So, yeah, because he worked in the building. Um, anyway, so uh, so it wasn't until uh, after, I believe, getting sued for that, uh, that um, they went, oh, well, you know, we've had these tactile marking strips sitting in a warehouse <laughs> for bloody years. We just never got around to installing them. Mm-hmm. That they finally decided, oh, hey. Maybe we should install these. Yeah, it's ridiculous. What do you think, yeah. Boo Boo? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, ugh, it just they they infuriate me. Um, and you know the nah, I don't know. I'm, we're just gonna go on a rant. Well, the part that bugs me the most about them is is that a no common sense like zilch, and b they always seem to be going for the Cadillac solution for mm-hmm. everything. They want to have the most expensive bloody solution uh, available. You know. There, there, are, there are places where a cheaper option is a better option. You know, it, it, 
it's not rocket science. And and these guys, you know, they're uh, yeah, no, absolutely. They're, they're, and uh, that's what they are. And, uh. and it goes right back to you know what when you are making something for the public, you know, accessibility has to be a major part of the conversation, and it has to be done at the beginning. Yeah, at this outset, from the start, you have to be taking it into consideration. You can't just band-aid it together later on It'd be yeah when, when you get out. complaints i mean that's yeah. the thing it's like well if no one complains then we won't bother with it it'd be interesting to find out if they actually did consult with like cnib or other advocacy groups and then just ignored them i guarantee you they didn't well i, I know that there were groups that were trying to engage with them and i don't know how i, I don't know what their experience was mm-hmm. or how successful they were i mean um you know <laughs> i don't know if uh if Rob Sleeth is still involved in that or not, but I, I know he was working right. um, uh, to, to try and make uh, um, TransLink deal with more accessibility issues. Right. So he might be a good guest to have on at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and this should infuriate you too. In the article, it, it quotes saying that the final cost of the retrofit won't be known, <laughs> but they estimate it's going to be around $5 million. And is it already over budget? Oh, it's way over yeah. budget. Way over budget. And that doesn't include the price of people losing their fobs or fobs not working or, you know, at least yeah. they're testing it first. <laughs> and I mean, don't get me wrong. Like if if that's how much it costs to make your system accessible, then that's the cost of making your, your, your system accessible. But it just, it should have been done yeah, that's what right it costs away. to retrofit your system to make it accessible. Right. Like, what do they do in the UK? What do they do in New York for people with disabilities? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, they should travel there and find out. They oh, yeah. should. Heaven First forbid, class. Heaven forbid you could pick up the phone and ask them that question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can you send me, can, can you uh, Snapchat that for me and right. uh, send it over? Yeah. Just send me a picture, man. Yeah. What company did you work with? <laughs> How much did it cost? <laughs> Uh, I'd better fly there. Yeah. <laughs> First class, of course. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, can you get me uh, tickets to a Harry Potter musical? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So from one contentious subject to yet another one, our last story, Steve, right. what is it? Oh, geez. We're, we're turning this into the Surly Uncle episode, aren't we? We are. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Disability organization denounces Alec Baldwin character in new film. Okay, now this is this is not one I have heard anything about at all. Oh, you'll love it. Alex Baldwin's portrayal. No, Alec. Alec Baldwin. Okay. Uh, so this is from NBC New York. Uh, so he's playing a blind man in an upcoming film. And the Rudderman Family Foundation condemned the actor's performance as a blind man in the upcoming film Blind, according to a statement released by the organization. Alec Baldwin in Blind is just the latest example of treating disability as a costume, said Jay Rutterman, the foundation's president. Rutterman added that the term crip face could be used to describe Baldwin's portrayal, making an equivalent term to the common term black face. This is a crazy story. It really is. I, I mean, I don't agree with this at all. No, and one of the notes I had made, and my phone's not working right now, but, you know, only recently, you know, in the past couple years, we are seeing more and more women actually getting leading roles in movies. It's been an ongoing theme now. I think the day is going to come where we're going to see more and more people with disabilities. You know, there was a girl with Down syndrome on Glee, who is a key actor. Yeah. Um, You know, I had a list of other disabled actors as well that are out there well rj rj mitt um from breaking bad right uh he played walter jr in in the in the right. show right. uh he had cp and you know he actually does have cp right uh, there's a there's a there's a show called switched at birth it's a big abc show right now that features you know several real deaf actors hard of hearing and deaf actors that are playing deaf and hard hearing characters born this way is another one where they're a group of basically teens with Down syndrome, right. high-functioning, that Linda and I watch as well. So they're out there. Sure, sure. And it, 
I mean, part of the problem that I have with this is is just well, I mean, first of all, I think it's extremely inflammatory. This this idea, this notion of crip face. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's ridiculous. I mean, that's not you cannot put it on the same level no. as as somebody performing in blackface. I mean, that's just crazy. Uh, and you know the 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 article goes on to you know talk about the different examples of you know other actors who have portrayed blind people. Um, you know uh, Jamie Fox in Ray, mm-hmm. or no, oh, he was good in that. Yeah, yeah or uh, Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman. Oh, he was mm-hmm. awesome in that. Yep. <laughs> right, and I mean, so there's nothing wrong with with an actor portraying somebody with a disability. I mean, how many? Uh, you know, you think about how many c- different characters have been in wheelchairs in different shows and movies that you know, obviously aren't actually in wheelchair. I mean, if you start, if you start holding Hollywood accountable to say, you know what, if you have a a disabled character in a movie, you have to cast an actually disabled person in that role. They're just going to stop creating roles for, you know, they're just going to not have disabled characters in movies because I mean, okay, for example, Hollywood's a business. It's a business. Hollywood's a business. I mean, part of this Alec Baldwin movie, probably part of the selling feature of this movie is the fact that Alec Baldwin is in it. Exactly, yeah. So now if they just cast some blind actor Mm -hmm. who's in it, instead of the best person for that particular role... Not many people go see it. Do we know if they tried to cast a blind person? Don't know. Well, we don't, but I mean... uh, I don't know. It just sets a really weird precedent, and, and I don't know. I, I think it's taking. I, I think you're, you're being a little oversensitive when it comes to this. And I mean, really, you know, in terms of the the bigger conversation with people who, involving people with disabilities, the more television characters, movie characters with disabilities that you have, the more education opportunities for the for the you know the public at large. Well, we're slowly getting there too. Just recently, Sesame Street introduced a new character with autism. Yeah, you know, yeah. like we're slowly getting there. But Sesame Street's been around what sixty years, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to 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 not be divisive, mm-hmm. but to to and and this, I think, the dangerous thing about this is that it sets up a, a precedent of division as opposed to anything else. Well. Okay, so who who have we got out there as blind characters that are in pop culture right now? Uh, we've got Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, is that actor blind? Nope. Huh. <laughs> uh, okay, so we got this. He's not blind. Uh, do we have any actual pop culture blind people being portrayed by somebody who's actually blind? I don't think there ever has Zero. been, except maybe Ray. Well, okay, uh, do you guys... Well, no, uh, Jeff Healy was in uh, Roadhouse. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember a guy named uh, Tom Sullivan in, in the, like, 70s, early 80s? He was a singer, and he was kind of an actor. He was on the he was on all the talk show circuits. He was kind of a blonde guy. He was blind, though. But he was a very successful singer and, and sort of actor. Yeah, I don't remember him, but, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he was totally blind, and he had a, you know, a fairly healthy um, career. But I'm I'm willing to bet you, I'm willing to bet you that there's blind actors out there in Hollywood going, give me a friggin' role. Absolutely. Maybe. I don't I don't know. And they're probably sitting there know. going, Alex frickin' Baldwin? Are you kidding? He's not <laughs> even blind. It's Alec Baldwin. Whatever. Keep calling him Alex. Is there an Alex Baldwin? I don't know. I don't know. One of the brothers. Maybe there's a brother. We'll, we'll go with Alec. But, you know, like I, I well, go back to my previous point, Hollywood's a business. They're in it to make money. They're going to get the star that they can get so that people go to the theaters and pay the money. Well, sure. Yeah. You know, you get a no-name actor. Sure, the show might be a success, but it's a pretty big gamble. Yeah, it's true. There, There is definitely the star star uh, draw factor to be considered, but uh, uh, it'd be nice to see blind actors getting a chance. Oh, I agree. Well, yeah. I mean, sure, absolutely, but at the same time, the best person for the right job. You know, if, if if you have a, a character that's blind and, and you want to try to cast a, a blind actor in that role to give that a sense of authenticity that you wouldn't get from Alec Baldwin, there I, I have no problem with that either. But I guess the problem is that, that I have with it is when you, you know, are sort of holding the studio hostage and, and trying to sort of 
you know, give them a black eye by and, and you know, use the term crip face. Uh, I don't know. I think that's going too far. Well, and I think, you know, maybe there just hasn't been a stellar, you know, blind actor. Michael J. Fox with Parkinson's. Tons of TV shows, tons of movies. Very successful actor with a disability. You know, there just hasn't been really anybody that I can think of who's been blind, been cast in a blindness role in a movie or TV show. Yeah, and I mean, who knows? I mean... He could be out there, or she could be out there. Absolutely. But I mean, I guess... You know, you have to you have to kind of give like there was a there's a great uh, movie on Netflix called Hush. I don't know if you guys have heard of this movie. No, it's no. a horror movie. It's it's about a it's about this woman who is deaf mute, and she's kind of she gets kind of trapped in her house by a by a killer, and the whole movie is just takes place in this one setting in her house, and she's trying to deal with with this killer. It's a brilliant movie, and it and it's. It's almost a silent movie because you really, as, as a viewer, you're sort of in her world of not being able to hear. And it's a brilliant concept. It's a brilliant movie. And it really works. The actressism isn't, you know, deaf mute at all. Um, you know, do we, do we hold her accountable? Like it, it doesn't, it, for me, it matters less about who's portraying who. And it, it's more important about does this movie portray the the disability properly properly and does it open up a conversation and educate people about that disability i mean that's the bigger question well fair enough you know but i i'd, I'd like to um say though um good on the rutterman family foundation for saying something and getting the conversation started about mm-hmm. it at least you know maybe maybe you disagree with the way that they went about it but you know, I think it's something that's worth talking about. Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. I, I will grant it that, but I think that it was unfair. Poor Alec Baldwin gets, you know, gets flamethrowed. <laughs> you know, calling <laughs> him this yeah, crip face. I mean, what? Is so, that what people are going to start calling us now with yeah. disabilities? <laughs> <laughs> that would suck, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just what you need. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, now. So that's it. Is that it? That's all we got? No happier news? We got to end on a high note. We got to end on a high note. Okay. I saw something. You might have to Google this, but I saw something on Facebook that Microsoft has developed an app for iOS called Seeing Eye, I think, where it's kind of like Ira. You can use your phone as a camera, and it gives you real-world information. I have not heard that. Yeah. I saw it this morning. I thought we'd covered that in a previous episode. Did we? Yeah, because it was part of uh, the Microsoft suite of apps or something. Um, it was built in. Um, I don't remember. Hey, Ryan. Rob. <laughs> we stopped that. <laughs> I don't know why your name's jumping into my mind. Because <laughs> usually I say, hey, Ryan, and you say, hey, Rob, and then I ask you, where can people find it? Uh, hey, Ryan. Steve. No, I'm Rob. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm confused. You got an iPhone? Oh, oh I the, do. Do you? I, I do. I got an iPhone 4 and 5C. Oh, well. I wonder if uh, you would be able to download and install the Microsoft Seeing AI, a free app that narrates the world around you designed for the low vision community. This research project harnesses the power of AI to describe people, text, and objects. Hmm. So you can download this, put it on your uh, iPhone, and uh, you can uh, have it read short text to you it'll uh, it'll read it as soon as uh, text goes in front of the camera uh, it can read full documents it provides audio guidance to capture a printed page and recognizes the text along with its original formatting oh, goodbye KNFB reader it uh, it also has barcode scanning excellent uh, it'll it'll give you audio beeps to help locate them then scan them to identify products cool uh, it can identify people wow recognizes friends and describes people around you including their emotions Wow. It, it's got facial recognition of some sort. Hmm. Uh, scene, uh, it's got an experimental feature to describe the scene around you. And it will identify uh, currency as well at some point. That's uh, not currently in there, but it's uh, it's coming soon. I might have to take a look for that. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty slick. I wonder if they're going to come out with it for Android too. It just says uh, for iOS right now. I would hope but, so. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so if you go to, uh, well, probably the easiest way to find it is just Google Microsoft Seeing AI. There's a, there's a website for it, and they've got a bunch of uh, videos demonstrating how the, uh, the various features uh, work on it. Cool. I will check that out, and maybe Rob can link to it in the show notes. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Hey Ryan, I was I was going to ask you too. Have you down? Have you um got Android Pay on your no. phone yet? No. Are you going to? No. Why not? Because I don't know of anybody who uses Android Pay. Because I just can't see if they have signs or anything like that. Or is it just any machine that uses Tap that works with it? I don't know. Yeah. See, I don't know enough about it. Because I also have RBC Wallet, which I can use as well, which does the same thing. Oh really? Yeah. Most banks have their own wallet app. Does the same thing. You just tap it. And yeah, I don't know. The part of that is kind of scary to me. Yeah. It's, it, they're making it a little bit too easy to spend money. Uh, pretty soon it'll just be a, a chip anyway, right? You're not going to have a debit card or a credit card. It's just just data. Yep. So, I would say that we have hit the end of our rope. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <coughs> this has got to be the end of the show. So, yeah, so ask Ryan where can people find us. Hey, Ryan. Steve. Where can people find us? They can find us online at www.atbanter.com. Fabulous. And a, uh, hey, Rob. Yeah, hey. Where, 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 <laughs> where else can people find us? Well, you're asking me the email address? Because j- usually I have to go through the email address, so I think you need to navigate the oh, email address. Oh, do I need to do the email? Okay. You do it. So if people want to email us, they can email us at atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. You're supposed to screw it up. Oh, am I sorry? That's okay. my shtick. Well, that's your shtick, though. Yeah, he's Steve now. Yeah, I'm Steve again. You, you forced it. You, you, hey, you forced it to happen. You kept complaining. Don't, don't, don't take it out on me. All right, then fine. Then people can also find us on YouTube. They can find us on Twitter, and they can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Oh, and Instagram too. And YouTube. Or wait, did I say YouTube already? I think yeah. I already said YouTube. You might okay. have said YouTube already. YouTube, awesome. YouTube, YouTube. YouTube. Okay, so where does that leave us? That leaves us to wrap up. Yep. I think we can just wrap this up here. So, thanks for coming. Oh, one last thing before we wrap up. Uh, I was reading earlier uh, an article about podcasts and the importance of people reviewing your podcasts online. Yes, Yes. that's true. Yes, and it said right in the article, it said every single time you do a podcast, you should ask your listeners to go and review your podcast on whatever platform they can review your podcast on. So you can do that on iTunes. I'm not sure. We're on Google Play as well. Google Play, you can review us. We're also on Stitcher. Stitcher. Anything else? Um, I forget. Yeah, there's a few. Whatever, whatever you're using. So this is our our first call to arms for our listeners. Please review us. Unless you think our show sucks, in which case, shut up. (laughs) Wow. Uh, (laughs) Shut up if you know it's good for you. Just lost half our audience. (laughs) No, we just told half our audience to shut up. There's a difference. (laughs) All righty. So please get out there. Review our show. And uh, yeah, email us, you know, Google us, call us, whatever. You know, it's all good. So I have been Steve Barclay. And I have been Rob Minot. And I've been Ryan Flurry. See y'all. Really? That's it? See y'all? That's your that's your that's your outro catchphrase. You don't, See y'all. Like that? Okay. I don't, I don't know. I'm a little underwhelmed. I'll I've be been honest. Steve Barkley. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. See you next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.